All right, Psalm 46. So we finished our um, going through the book of Haggai. I wanted to look at Psalm 46 today. We're all aware of the things that are happening in our world. And I think it's probably safe to say that wherever we go, we talk to people, friends, family members, colleagues. And we're finding that there are so many people who are fearful, who do not know what to do about the things that are happening. You, have you ever noticed that when people are out of control, I mean, when, when we can't control things, we get nervous. Does that happen to anybody here? I, I believe every human being is a control freak, whether they know it or not. And we know this is true because what was the original sin in the garden? Don't worry, God, I got this. I know you want to be my God, but I think I can handle this on my own. I'm going to go ahead and eat this fruit. I'm going to go ahead and be my own God and chart my own course. This is our original sin. The sin of wanting to be in control. To control our lives, to control our circumstances. But that's just not how life works. Because God does not allow that. Because we're not in control. He's in control. And so people go along in life and their lives are pretty smooth for the most part. You know, we all have bumps in the road. Sometimes we have really deep valleys, really dark valleys. But when life is, when life is manageable, when we feel like we can control things in life, we feel pretty confident. We're okay. And we may not do this on purpose, but we kind of push God to the side. Now, this is true for individuals. This is true for peoples and nations. And I think today in the, in the 21st century that we live in, whether we think about these things or not, I think that we kind of have resigned ourselves consciously or subconsciously to this reality that, that God and the Scripture and all of these things that I read about in the Bible, even if I believe they're true, and I do believe they're true, but you know, they're just kind of like, they're kind of out there, past. They're not really very relevant to my life today. I mean, after all, God's not judging nations, and He's not judging people, and He's not doing those things we read about in the Old Testament, that, that was back then, but we're living in a different time. And we go along through life, and you think about, you know, I told someone uh, recently, uh, I just turned 61. I was born in 1961. So I'm a very late baby boomer. And my dad was quite old. He was 49 years old when I was born. My dad was a veteran of World War II. My dad was born in 1912. So when the Great Depression hit, my dad was an adult. He lived through it. My mom 
lived through it. I grew up hearing stories about what life was like and thinking, whew, I'm glad I didn't live back then. And I think, you know, I heard those stories. They were real for my parents and my aunts and my uncles. But the reality is, I read about the Vietnam War, but I didn't have to go to the Vietnam War. I read about things. They stopped the draft. I didn't have to go to the military. I've led a pretty blessed life, other than, you know, you, people die and you experience sadness and different types of hardships. But when we think about what people have gone through throughout history, when you think about what the people of Ukraine are going through right now, at last count, I mean, we're talking a million refugees. And they're expecting millions more before it's over with. I've never lived in a refugee camp. I have a very dear friend who's like family to me, Gitana Gitana. He lived years in a refugee camp in North Africa. And it's not a pleasant thing. And so many of us here in America have no concept of those things because we've never experienced anything like that. We've just lived a very blessed existence here. And it's been so blessed for so long that we've even forgotten the source of those blessings. We think it's free markets or capitalism or a democracy or a democratic republic or just common sense or science. You know, science has given us so much. And we can just list all of those things that we attribute to our blessedness but the reality is, we don't have any of those things apart from God. That was the t topic of the Sunday school this morning. We, we don't even have science without God. But now we have scientists who think that God is a figment of man's imagination. And they couldn't even do what they do and think what they think and study what they study and discover what they discover but for God and for His grace. And what I want to make sure that we do as the church is keep things in the right perspective. And so I fully expect people in the world to freak out and to, you know, not, not understand and, and, and try to figure these things out and panic. But, but Christians, the church, should not be there. But yet there are a lot of Christians today who are panicking, who are worried about their future, who are worried about their children's future. Now, I didn't say we shouldn't be concerned in a way that informs us how we should live our lives. That's the name of our Sunday school lesson. It is, uh, How Should We Then Live by Francis Schaeffer. When we look at the world around us, it should inform us how we should then live. When we read the scripture, it, it informs us how we should then live. When we hear of wars and rumors of war, and we think that those things could spill over and affect us. I mean, right now, you know, people are 
worried about paying $5 a gallon for gas. There could be a lot worse problems that we have. And I, I know that's going to create problems. But you realize, I believe this, that all of these things are warning signs that God is graciously allowing us to see and experience because he is trying to get us to consider how we should then live. Remember from Haggai, the word of the Lord, the first thing God said to the remnant of Judah was, consider your ways. And when we as the church see the things happening around us and in the world, it's not time to panic. It's not time to, well, we should be righteously angry, but not unrighteously angry. It's not time to panic. It's not time to, to throw our hands up and wonder what's going to happen and, and, and wonder where God is in all of this. He's firmly upon His throne, firmly in control of every thing that's happening and don't ever believe he is not because he is and Psalm 46 gives us assurance it's throughout the scripture I just picked this psalm because it gave us such assurance that applies to any area of our life from, from geopolitical wars and conflict to I can't pay my light bill. Two, I just got a diagnosis from my doctor that I, I, I don't know what to do with. It doesn't matter what kind of trouble you find yourself in. God is our refuge and our strength. And God has called us to be faithful, not fearful. And he's called us to be kingdom-focused, not indifferent. Psalm 46. To the chief musician, a psalm of the sons of Korah, a song for Ailment. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of our God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come. Behold the works of the Lord who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. 
the God of Jacob, our refuge. This is the word of the Lord. Father, by your spirit, I pray that you bring comfort to your people, but not just comfort, God. I pray that you would, Lord, comfort us in our fears, but I pray that you would discomfort us in our leisure, in our, Lord, in our place of indifference, in those places that we run to because we feel safe and we feel sheltered by our own devices and our own means. God, do not let us be comfortable or find comfort in those places that are outside of you. Father, by your Spirit, would you work in your people, especially in this day when the church is to be salt and light in the earth, when the church should be the beacon of light shining bright in the midst of the darkness all around, when people don't know where to turn and don't know who to call upon, Lord, that your people would be that beacon and they would know that it is the Lord, the God, the God Most High, the Lord God Almighty, the Lord of armies that is our refuge and our strength. Lord, mold us and shape us. Conform us and transform us into that people to give glorious witness of you in the earth today. Father, that we would be courageous so that those who are fearful would have hope and know who their strength, who their courage, and who their refuge truly is. Father, we ask this, that you would be glorified in your church. In Jesus' name, amen. This psalm, there are three sections we could divide this psalm into. The first section, God is our refuge and our strength. It's a declaration the psalmist makes about God, a very present help in trouble. Then there's the pause, Selah, pause and consider. Don't just read that. And say, well, I read my scripture today. No, what the psalmist is saying, consider that. Think on that. Meditate on that. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, remember when you read the Bible and you see the therefore, you need to know what it's there for. Because God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble, therefore, we will not fear. Why do we not fear? Because God is our refuge and our strength. A very present help in time of trouble. Even though, I want you to catch the picture that the psalmist is painting here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is not for us to read and go, oh, well, that can never happen. No, it's for us to read and consider and to think and to realize that we have no reason to fear because there is nothing that can happen to me 
There is nothing I can walk through. There is nothing I can go through. There is nothing I can experience that should give me cause to fear. Because even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains, the very mountains, Shake with its swelling. We will not fear. We will not be moved. Why? Because God is our refuge and our strength. God alone is our refuge. God alone is our strength. I had a friend of mine who came by to see me a couple of weeks ago. Who I hadn't seen in quite a while. He had a very horrendous accident and by all by all rights should be dead hit a car riding a motorcycle head on doing 60 miles an hour now how he's still alive only God knows how he's even walking and can still hold a a reasonable thought he's wondering that himself but he told me he said you know I trusted in the Lord before my accident. He said, or I thought I did. He said, I'm a strong person, and he is a strong person. He said, I thought I was strong. And it's not that I didn't need the Lord, but I was strong enough in my own strength to do a lot of things. He said, the best thing that ever happened to me was having that accident. He was in a coma for months. Here he is now, and he said, that was the best thing that ever happened to me. He said, I lost everything. I literally lost everything except three toolboxes in my truck. But everything else, I lost. All my money, my place to live, I lost everything. But he said, what I came out from that realizing is, I I can't do anything. He used some colorful language to give me examples of what he couldn't do when he was recovering. But he said, I realize I, I can't do anything. I thought I was strong. I don't, I don't have any strength. He said, whatever strength I have, whatever I'm able to do, whatever I can do, whatever I can do, I can only do it by God's grace. He said, I, 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 I didn't, I wouldn't say I didn't believe that before, but he said, I didn't live like that before. I didn't consciously think about that before. He said, but God had to put me in a place where I realized you are not strong, you are not in control, you can't do anything, and I'm going to show you just what you cannot do apart from me. And he said, people think it was horrible what happened to me, but he said, I'm telling you what's the best thing that ever happened to me because God revealed something to me. He said, I don't think I could have gotten any other way. Now, the Lord forbid... I don't want anyone to have to go through that. And he doesn't want anyone to have to go through. But what he's saying is, that's what I had to go through. For God to reveal himself to me in a way that I realized that I am weak, but he is strong. This is what Paul writes. This is not a mystery. This is not some hidden thing. It's right there in the scripture. I am weak, but you are strong. And God said to the apostle Paul, In your weakness, my strength is made perfect. That's what God says to us. God is our refuge and strength. Our very present help in time of trouble. 
And if we try to find our refuge or our strength in anything else, at best we're going to be disappointed. At worst, we may find ourselves in a situation we don't want to be in. But God knows how we all must come to that place of knowing Him and seeing Him and finding our hope in Him. I think it's safe to say right now our nation is not finding its hope in Jesus. It's looking for hope in lots of places. But it hasn't yet turned to Jesus the way it must. And when I say the nation, I'm talking about the church in our nation. Because God didn't say, when the world who doesn't believe in me humbles themselves and pray. He said, when my people called by my name humble themselves and pray. Well, guess who that's not? That's not all of those people out there who don't know Jesus. Guess who it is? It's all of us who profess to know Jesus. Now, I can't look into anybody's heart. All I can do is go on someone's profession. If someone professes to me that they believe in Jesus, trust in Jesus, I'm going to take them at their profession. So that means now you must humble yourselves. You must pray. You must turn from your wicked ways. And so must I in order for God to hear from heaven and to heal our land. But if we don't believe God is our refuge and our strength, if we think that we somehow can do this ourselves, or some politician in some capital somewhere can do this, or some army can do this, hmm. we haven't learned. We haven't learned from the Scripture and from the history of God's people since the beginning in the garden all the way up to right now. We haven't learned. And God in His grace is saying, are you hearing me? Are you feeling my nudge? You think it's bad? Read the Scripture Read about what God's people have gone through because of their unrepentant sin and rebellion and hardness of heart toward God. If you think it's bad, oh, it could get a lot worse. It really could. Now, I don't want to be the prophet of doom and gloom here, but I would be remiss as a pastor living in this country at this day and this time with the things happening all around us and across the globe that are happening if I just come in here and preach some feel-good message to you so you'll feel better because you got enough to deal with, I'm not helping you. In fact, God will hold me responsible for that. And I love you guys, but I'm a whole lot more scared of God than I am of any of you. And I should be. And so should you be more scared of God than you are of anyone else in this world. We're living in uncertain and unpredictable times. What we thought was stable, immovable, we're seeing this. We're hearing our politicians say this. We thought there would never be another war on the European continent. We thought we got past that. I've heard the experts say words like that over the last couple of weeks. We're supposed to be beyond that as we worship the God of climate, as we worship the God of convenience, as we worship every God and every idol except the true and living God. And we wonder how these things can happen when we have wholesale rejected God and told Him, you're not welcome. 
Without Christ, we have no hope. And we've got to realize our first and only true hope is in Him. Money's not going to buy you hope. All the bullets and ammunition and guns you might have aren't going to buy you hope. There is no hope apart from Jesus. We can't save ourselves. We can't. Only God can save us. Jesus is the rock upon which His church is being built. We are the church. We are the people of God. And if you're in Christ, you are on solid ground that cannot be moved. That's what the psalmist wrote. And Jesus is the ground. He is the rock that can't be moved. The earth can be removed. The mountains can be cast into the sea. But if you're in Christ, you're on solid ground. It can never move, though everything move around you. And this is why we have no reason to fear. And then he says this. There is a river. There is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God. There is a river. Listen to the words of the Lord in describing the sin of his people through the prophet Jeremiah. A sin we are still guilty of today. Jeremiah 2.13 For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Now, I don't know how many of you, some of you know what a cistern is. Some of you might not know what a cistern is. A cistern is a thing you would build to hold rainwater. And you'd funnel rainwater into it, however you could get it there, but cisterns were built to hold water when there was no source of fresh water readily available. I'm from the Texas coast down in Indianola, which, which would have been the largest port city in Texas, but for two hurricanes. And you can go to old Indianola, and you can find remnants of old cisterns. We're back in the middle of the 1800s. The immigrants who came there by ship to go to New Braunfels and to go to different places, those immigrants coming from Europe, they, they, they established a settlement there, and there's remnants of cisterns there to collect water because you can't drink seawater. God says, this is the sin of my people. They have forsaken the fountain of living waters and they have hewn for themselves. In other words, through their own efforts, through their own strength, they're going to save themselves. This is what this pictures. Contrast a great fountain of living waters with a cracked cistern. Pour water in, it goes out just as fast as you put it in. It won't hold water. An abundant, never-ending source of living water or a cistern made by man that's cracked and won't hold water. Well, it, it makes perfect sense to us that we're going to go with the fountain of living waters, right? But yet God says, this is the sin of my people. They've chosen the wrong thing. They've chosen what is obviously the wrong thing. It doesn't even make sense what they've chosen. A cracked cistern versus the fountain of living waters. And we read that scripture and say, man, those people were dumb. But before we cast too many stones at those people... We need to think about our own selves today. 
I mean, we just go to the tap and turn a faucet or wave your hand in front of it or whatever, and water comes out magically. We don't have to have fountains or springs or wells or cisterns. But you see, this, this really wasn't about water. Well, it is, but not the kind of water we think about. Jesus declared himself to be the source of this river, this living water. It's recorded for us in John chapter 4, verse 10. When Jesus encounters the woman at the well, and he says, give me a drink, woman. She said, you a Jew asking a Samaritan for a drink? You don't even have a cup. And then Jesus says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus answered and said to her, verse 13, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, that water in the well, that water in the cistern. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water, springing up into everlasting life. And Jesus is speaking metaphorically about a spring, a fountain, a source. That word in the Greek there speaks of a source of a river. Every river has a source. And the river the psalmist talks about, the source of that river is the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the Holy Spirit. It is God Himself. And Jesus says, I will give you this water and you will never thirst again. Obviously, I got thirsty this morning because I needed a drink. So Jesus is not talking about H2O. He's talking about the Spirit. And again, Jesus declares that all who believe in Him, out of the, their hearts, out of their bellies, out of their innermost being will flow rivers of living water. John 37, 37 through 39. This is on the last day, the great day of the Feast of Tabernacles. And there was a ceremony of drawing water from the well. And Jesus stands up in the midst of the temple with Jews gathered from all the nations of the world. And Jesus stands up, says on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood up, cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Verse 39, but this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Well, guess what? I've got good news. Jesus has been glorified and the Holy Spirit has been poured out. And if you are in Christ, you have that very same Holy Spirit. The very same Holy Spirit that was poured out on Pentecost. The very same Holy Spirit Jesus spoke of the woman to the woman at the well about. The very same Jesus the very same spirit that Jesus proclaimed on the Feast of Tabernacles and said, if you believe in me, out of you, out of your inmost being will flow rivers of living water. You have that river. You have those waters in you if you are in Christ. Amen. Psalm 1, 
Blessed is the man who walks, not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And what will happen then? He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season whose leaf does, shall not wither and whatever he does shall prosper. But the ungodly are not so. They are like the chaff which the wind blows away. We have trees planted by rivers bringing forth the greenness and the fruit and we have chaff blown by the wind dry, dead, chaff that the wind blows away. Here's another contrast. The people of God who know that the Lord is their refuge and their strength and the world who is placing their hope in everything and anyone but Him. Ezekiel, I'm not going to read it, but Ezekiel 47 talks about a river that flows from the temple of the Lord. And after Four measurements in thousand increments. Ezekiel is brought back and he says, Then growing along this river are trees, many trees growing all along the river. That river flowing from the temple of the Lord and the trees that are growing and flourishing from its life in turn, bring life and bring healing. This vision in Ezekiel 47 is recounted for us again through the words of, of the Apostle John in the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the title of the book. I want you guys to understand this. When we went through the, the book of Revelation on Wednesday night, we're very clear to make sure that we understand what's being revealed here. It's not an antichrist being revealed. It's not the end of the world being revealed. It's not all the tribulation we're going to go through that's being revealed. We get romanticized and caught up with that. No, it says in the very opening of that book, the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is who is being revealed throughout the book of Revelation. And at the end of that book, I'm going to read some verses from it here, beginning in Revelation 21, verse 9 and verse 10. John writes this, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. I don't want you to get caught up with the when here. We can debate the when. There's no debate what is being revealed here. But I think the win is important to really understand the implication of what is being revealed here. I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. Verse 10, And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Now let's go down to Verse 22, John says, In that city I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it. The city had no need. 
He didn't say the world, the earth. He said the city had no need. That's important. For the glory of God illuminated it, the city. The Lamb is its, the city's light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, the light of the Lamb. And the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there in that city. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. Into what? Into that city. But there shall be no means enter it anything. Nothing shall enter that city that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie. But the only thing that will enter that city are those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. You might wonder what this has to do with the river. And I'm getting there. End of chapter 21, beginning of chapter 22. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. From the center of that city. That's what we understand. That's where the throne is, the throne of God and of the Lamb. Verse 2, in the middle of its street and on either side of the river proceeding from the throne was the tree of life which bore twelve fruits, each yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it and his servants shall serve him and they shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads, and there shall be no night there in that city. And they need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Do you see it? We are that holy, glorious city, the new Jerusalem. We are the bride of the Lamb, the church. Within us, in the very midst of us, from the very presence of our indwelling Lord by the Holy Spirit flows a river that brings life and healing. Well, who does it bring it to? The Bible says it brings it to the nations. And how does the river and the trees, how does that healing, how does it get to the nations? Because we are the holy nation The peculiar people of God called forth to make His praise known in the earth. And in, in the city, in us, there is no light. Remember when Paul got knocked off his donkey on the road to Damascus? And he said, the light I saw was brighter than the sun. You know why? In the city, we don't need the sun. Because the light of the Lamb makes the light of the physical sun look like darkness in the city there's no need for the sun or the moon because there's no darkness in the city who's the city you got to track with me church you are the city we are the city the church is the city what is the world in the world is in 
darkness. But in the city, there is no darkness. There is only light. So bright it dwarfs the light of the sun. Now don't you think if we were, if we were in the world the way the scripture describes us to be, there would be such a brightness coming from the people of God that the people in the world who were in darkness, they wouldn't even look to the sun or look for the moon. They would see a light so bright they would be drawn to it. But instead today, we have a lot of Christians who are acting just like the world in lots of ways. And I believe they're acting like the world because they've not had proper shepherds teach them the truth and motivate them to be the church and stop trying to be the world. And stop trying to appease the world. Because it doesn't matter whether we appease the world or not. If we're being who Jesus called us to be, the world's not going to be happy with us. But you know what? When they get tired of their darkness, they're going to know where the light is and they're going to know where to come. Because they'll see the light. There is a river and it flows from us for the healing of the nations. Out of our inmost being flows rivers of living water. We are that city of God made glad by His rivers of living water. We are the holy place of His presence. God is in our midst. We cannot be moved, the psalmist said. God is our help just at the break of dawn. The psalmist goes on in verse 6. He says, the nations raged, the kings were moved. He uttered his voice, the earth melted, the Lord of hosts is with us. The earth is being moved, the earth is melting, but the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, that's what that word host means there, that literally means the Lord, Yahweh of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And then the psalmist beckons us, the Holy Spirit beckons us, Come, behold the works of the Lord who has made desolations in the earth. If you don't believe God makes desolations, read your Bible. God making desolations in the earth is not contrary to who God is. Though a lot of people today will tell you different. Oh, God wouldn't do anything that's bad. Hmm. Define bad for me. Uh, is, is destroying a city and a temple and carrying away a whole people to captivity for 70 years? You think that's bad? Would you like that? When people say God can't do anything bad, what they really mean is God can't do anything evil. And that is true. But, see, we put ourselves above God and we are the purveyors and the definers of what is evil and what is not. And we don't have the right to do that. God is the judge. And God is the jury. And we're the ones on trial, not God. Come behold the works of the Lord who has made desolations in the earth. Verse 9, he makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot with fire. We like that because he's making war cease. And we all want war to cease. But I'm telling you, part of making wars cease 
may include some desolations. And then verse 10, be still and know that I am God. We were to pause and to ponder and to meditate on the river. Now, in the midst of this, these last verses, God says, be still and know that I am God. In the midst of everything moving, in the midst of the earth melting, in the midst of all the turmoil, the desolation, the work to make wars cease, you realize that's the work that God is doing. Ultimately, wars will cease. Ultimately, death will be utterly defeated and be no more. It's not yet, but it's happening. Because God says it's happening. So it doesn't matter what we see. It doesn't matter what we believe. God said, it's happening, I will do it, and what are we supposed to do as his people? We're supposed to believe it, and trust in it, and fear not, though the earth be removed. And while the earth is being removed, and it's melting, God says, be still, and know that I am God. Think about that. Just think about that for a moment. Think about being in the worst earthquake you could possibly be in, and God says, just be still, and know that I'm God. I know, we all say, easier said than done. But if it was impossible, God wouldn't say to do it. In the midst of your turmoil, in the midst of your tribulation, in the midst of however your earth is moving and melting and your mountains are being carried away into the sea, whatever's happening in your life, God is saying, be still and know that I am God. And know that I am your refuge and strength, a very present help. In time of trouble. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted. Among the nations who reject me. I will be exalted in the earth that I created. Verse 11, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Two times God tells us that in that short psalm. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And what God is saying is whatever is happening... And we can think about all the things happening in our world today. We can think about all the things happening in our lives and the lives of those around us. We can think about all that today. And we can believe the lie and the fear-mongering that people use to gain control of people. Because you do realize, I'll go back to my original point, every human being is a control freak. And if you don't think the powers that be... You know, you've heard that. The powers that be. You know, they. Who, who are they? You know, the powers that be. The people that run the world. Who runs the world? Well, you know, the, uh, they have different names. You know, the Illuminati, the Rockefellers, the, uh, uh, I don't know. You know, I could go on with all those conspiracy things. And you know what? I don't even dispute that. 
I'm a world history teacher, and it's amazing as you teach world history, and it's like, oh, no wonder they say that family still controls everything because that family literally did control the world just a few hundred years ago. So what? So what? Their control is only an illusion in their own minds, no matter how much money they have, no matter how much power they have, no matter how much influence they have. My God is in control. Yahweh, the Lord of armies, is in control. He's the one that's in control. I don't have any reason to fear. He is the one that's in control. He is our very present refuge, our help. He is our hope. And there is hope in none other. None other. So let the world fear monger. Let the world be convinced it can get you in so much fear that it can control you because they believe they actually have the power to do that. That's okay. Let them believe that. But you believe the truth. Ephesians 5.21 Don't be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Walk wisely, circumspectly. What's it mean to be filled with the Spirit? I told you before. Do you remember? It means to walk under the control of the Holy Spirit. So let the world try to control you all it wants. You are not under the control of the world, or at least I hope you're not. Because the Bible says if you're in Christ, you're built on a foundation that cannot be moved, and you are to be controlled by only one thing, and that is the Spirit of God that indwells you, that lives within you, and it is that Spirit that is the source, the very flow of rivers of living water that are meant to be in you and to come out of you for the healing of the nations. And I'm going to tell you, the nations need to be healed. The church needs healing. The church needs to just take a pause. And while it's being still and knowing that God is God, it needs to read the scripture and be reminded of the truth so that we are not running around fearful because God has said, fear not, be still and know that I am God. Amen. Let's prepare to come to the table of the Lord. You are welcome at this table. When we confess the Apostles' Creed each week, we confess that we believe in the Holy Catholic Church, not the Roman Catholic Church. I believe they're my brothers and my sisters. But we believe in the universal church. Seen and unseen. Visible and invisible. And if you count yourself a covenant member in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, young covenant members to mature covenant members, whether you count this your church home or congregation or not, if you count yourself a member of God's covenant people, you are welcome at this table. So, Christian, welcome to Jesus. Welcome to the table. Let's stand. You are all invited and encouraged to stay for Mission Mill, if, if at all possible. I'm going to give you your charge, and we'll, uh, we'll sing the doxology. 
I'll give you the benediction and I'm going to pray for our food also before we go next door. The psalmist was very clear. The Lord is our refuge and He is our strength. He is the source of living water. That source lives in you if you are in Christ. And you are meant to be those trees planted by and planted, nourished by those living waters. You are to be those trees that bring the healing needed in the nations. And God says to us, He invites us to come and to behold the works of the Lord. And we see all around us today the works of the Lord taking place. Yes, even in desolations. That word desolation speaks of horrific, terrorizing, horrible things. That's what that word means in the Hebrew. And even in the terrifying, horrific things we see taking place in the earth today, we are seeing the works of the Lord. And the works of the Lord are to ultimately bring us to a place where death is no more. He's already conquered death. For His kingdom to come, for His glory to be known, and to cover this world, this earth, even as the waters cover the sea. And God in His grace has chosen to do that very work, not apart from us, but with us and through us. That's why we are called the body of Christ. He is the head, we are the body. We are pictured in Scripture as the hands and the feet of the Lord Jesus. And we are in this earth to see that work done so that we can see the fulfillment of all of these things and more. And that day when God's ultimate and true victory will be seen and known and experienced by all of His creation, even the trees and the rocks that are groaning and yearning for the manifestation of the sons of God. This is our destiny in Christ. But this is our work to be done right now. So church, there's no reason for us to fear. God is in control. He is our refuge and He is our strength. The Lord is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Amen? Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all the generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. The Lord be with you.